Welcome to the Software People Stories. I'm Shiv. I'm Chitra. And I'm Gaiki. We bring you interesting untold stories of people associated with the creation or consumption of software-based solutions. You'll hear stories of what worked and sometimes what didn't. You'll also hear very personal experiences and insights that would trigger your thoughts and inspire you to do even greater things. It's not often that I get a chance to sit across a table from our podcast guests especially in these times when most of us are working remotely so an opportunity like this one was then hard to pass for both our guest and the software people stories this week Madhavi Nadek and myself where Madhavi shared her stories from the time she knew she had to see things differently and so do them and experience what it was that she truly wanted to do she's a developer product manager and volunteer who believes in not only getting the job done but getting it done well Madhavi shares her ways of learning about users, her experiences on bringing Spotify music to India and an amazing volunteer project where she created a space and enabled people to volunteer to record 100 stories in English with an Indian accent to help listeners in India. There are small tips for everyone in this episode. So listen on. So good morning Madhavi. Very warm welcome to you to the Software People Stories podcast. It's wonderful having you here with us and I'm really looking forward to this conversation. Thank you so much Chitra. It's great to be here. So can we start with your origin story Madhavi? Where did your interest in technology begin? How did you get started? Interest in technology. I would say I've been a bit of a rebel always. So interest in technology also was a little bit of being rebellious. So I wanted to become a doctor. until 10th standard you're forced to study biology and after that you have the choice so i said i'm going to become a vet not a human doctor but a veterinary doctor and my family was opposed to that so i said i'm just going to drop biology why study something that i'm never going to use my mother is a doctor but i didn't want to follow in her footsteps and i had realized by then that i had a um knack for programming whatever little was learned at school so that's how i ended up here So I presume that you you know took a degree in computer science or you know studied engineering and then how did your career or your journey in the world of software pan out thereafter I did my bachelor's in engineering uh, from uh, PSIT Bangalore and after that uh, I have done a masters in computer science from the university at Buffalo New York So when I was studying for my bachelor's the the curriculum kind of didn't really satisfy me i felt a lot of things were thrust upon me so i wanted to study certain things because i wanted to study not because it's going to get me a job so that's what i did during my masters and then at the end of masters i was like wait a minute i studied all these things like how am i going to get a job now but it panned out and uh, i worked with emc I did an internship there and then converted that to a full-time position. Worked a little bit as a QA test automation engineer over there, and then I was like, uh, I need to work in a small startup. And also, EMC's headquarters was in Hopkinton, and that was a very little small town, village kind of a thing. I wanted the hustle bustle of city, and I love Boston, so I wanted to be close. So I found a startup there and joined it. It's called JumpTap. it was into mobile advertising at that time the joke was do you like get 
buses and trucks painted with advertisements like no no that's not what we mean by mobile advertising so mobile advertising was still a up and coming field then it's not uh, not as established as it is today and then jumped up got acquired by millennial media so from a 70 person company we now went into about a 500 person company and then 2 years later that got acquired by AOL and now we were like one among tens of thousands and that was way too much for me so i said i need to find something else where you know i can make a significant contribution luckily for me at that point i got to know there is a spotify office in boston so i applied and uh, i got through they were like uh, it's really hard to get in there and all of that i liked it they liked me so it worked out great for all of us and i spent i think 3 and a half years or so working over there part of it in boston and some of it from here in bangalore because in 2018 i moved back to bangalore and that's how i've been in like three different industries doing different things whatever catches my fancy that's really nice so across these industries as a programmer what have been some of your fundamental principles that you've imbibed over the years as a developer as a programmer and uh, what are some instances that you can share that perhaps became learning moments or moments of truth for you as somebody who said that she has a knack for computers so from the beginning uh, even during my college days my friends used to tease me if you want the most optimized code go to madhvi so that's how i started my career trying to optimize every little thing about the algorithm and how is the memory being managed and all of that and then i joined the startup jump tap we did a lot of experimental things there during the jump tap and millennial media stage so about a span of 4 years and i also got to interact and work very closely with a lot of senior engineers at that point so i was this really young raw engineer so then i realized that my level of optimization wasn't really required it was becoming more of a hindrance especially for a prototype you don't really want the highly optimized version you want to make sure that it does what it does to prove that you can achieve whatever functionality it is that you are trying to build and deliver so that was one of the first learning things a mindset change that let's go with making sure we get the mvp in place and the mvp should not have a lot of bells and whistles because it's just going to prolong how long it is going to take to release the mvp so that was one of them and the other thing was cut out the bells and whistles from mvp so as a progress in my career i've been uh, in a position where i've had to work with other people and give them more for guidance to get it de- uh, developed by them because maybe that team on the component or maybe i didn't have the expertise to work on it myself and there also everybody wants to add all these extra features and like no cut it out bare bones bare bones get me the bare bones once we show this mvp works then we can move forward another thing that i learned at spotify was like don't just build something just because you feel like have some data backing that right a lot of companies just like dive into it from a gut feel i think nowadays there's a more of a shift to have a data driven decision making uh in my early career i wasn't exposed to that later on i uh, got into it and now i apply that to all areas of my life so actually that's very interesting you know you said as a developer you focused on optimization you focused on you know keeping it clean ensuring that the code serves its purpose and don't just build something but back it with data so on that last point 
I have often noticed that uh, developers are highly creative people. They love to create and build code. So how did you develop this practice of uh, allowing data or using data to ensure that you're building the right thing or building exactly what is needed? So initially, when I was first in, in introduced to this kind of uh, thinking, I was still a young engineer and I didn't really understand what was the need for all of that. But I got involved into that and then I started realizing that the features that we built as a team, because our team lead or my manager made sure we did uh, some of these. And I'm really lucky to have had some really good mentors. I'm very grateful to them for guiding my career. So through them, I got introduced to this and I started observing that the features we were delivering had a lesser error. So they were exactly what the users wanted. So it was, although it was taking a lot longer to get to the decision part, and it wasn't just like, okay, let's just decide in this room and let's build something. I realized that the, those would stick and they would stick on for a lot longer than we'd expected to. We would build it as a prototype, but you know, they survived way past that. So that was a learning experience. And also Spotify has this entire mindset of uh, data-driven decision-making. So it was a very easy jump for me from my previous company to Spotify. And I just got involved in it. Some of the projects I worked in Spotify were also like uh, involving multiple languages. And basically we were trying to optimize the recommendations in Spotify to cater to the Indian audience because Spotify was not yet in India at that point of time. I'm talking from 2016 to about 2018-19. Yeah, 2019 is when it was released here. So this is what we were doing over there. And in India, again, you know, music is out there in like so many different languages. I am one person. I know Kannada, English, Hindi, and barely a little bit of Hindi at that. So how am I supposed to expect and cater to like audiences in each of these different languages? So the way I did it is, let me see which languages have the most traction so that whatever little change I do, that is going to serve the most number of people. So it was also impact driven that way. And that's how I made my decision making. And that's how my team supported me and all of us went ahead that way. You know, going back to building based on data, a lot of uh, companies, and, and I recently read somewhere, most of the users use only about 20% of the features. Whereas uh, companies near 80% of the expenditure on building those features literally goes based. I mean, as somebody who's been in the midst of code and someone who uses data to make decisions on what to build, and you also mentioned that you've seen that, you know, certain features have a lot of stickiness. How can, um, you know, a company that's just starting up and measure that stickiness or usability or feature usage, you know, to ensure that, hey, okay, we got this right especially when you talk about experiments and MVPs, right? That's the place a lot of uh, people struggle, especially when you're developing new products or maybe looking at new markets. So what is it that, you know, you can do upfront or preemptively in the code that through which you can measure uh, its effectiveness or usage? So I feel like if there is something similar to whatever you want to build, you can try to take that data and extrapolate. There are some challenges there. Maybe it's owned by a company and you don't have access to that data. Maybe you can talk to some people over there and try to get a feel for what their user responses are and uh, how that is guiding it. 
or maybe you can find experts in the field who can kind of give you a idea because this is your if your idea is a brand new thing that's not out there in the market so i guess where i was coming from was uh, looking at instrumentation yes within the code itself yes. but instrument for instrumentation you still need to have some decisions in place like you have to have at least one or two alternatives or you just be like i'm going to put all my money on one thing and just go ahead with building this thing there's no ab testing over there you just go ahead with that one thing and then see how are people reacting to it you have to build in, in instrumentation make sure you're collecting data at all the significant points then there's that story um the next part of it would be like actually talking to the users and getting their feedback like what do you think about it because or the instrumentation data can tell you a certain story but that could just be because of the way you programmed your flow user flows maybe there is something the user is looking for that is not even part of your flow and to get that perspective you really need to talk to users so i i would say it has to be both so has that happened at any point in time with you with me Yeah I mean if for these recommendation stuff that's how we did it so there were certain stories that the data was saying based on whatever instrumentation was there we added a few more data collection points that would still not give us the complete picture after that it was just a question of talking to different people and because the product was not yet in india right it was really hard for us to um get the actual feedback from them so we did a proxy for it we asked other different colleagues and other people whom we could approach whether we be on a phone call and all of that there was a whole market research part but i also needed to know how good are the recommendations that we are giving which we didn't get such a good idea from just the pure market research market research was more this is like a small niche out of a huge big thing so for those specific answers we went ahead and tried to collect data ourselves this is also something that uh, maybe many developers hesitate to do is actually talk to users so as somebody who's based on whatever you've said so far who's been on both sides you've been a, you you understand the code you've been a developer you also have in some sense uh, displayed empathy towards the user to understand how they may be using it or what is to see what is it that you've missed what is it that you have done differently to develop that empathy and uh, make that part and parcel of your way of working see my rebelliousness comes there also <laughs> any time there is something given to me i want to see how can i break this like what are the ways i can break it it's okay i just want that list of ways i can break it and then we'll see which is the majority path because everybody doesn't think like me they just go through this and because i am a, a approaching it from the perspective of i want to break this user approaches it from the perspective of i want to get my job done So like you said that 20% thing is what is most important but knowing where the other hitches are that's sufficient for me. So this is the way I approach it. And first I do it myself make note of whatever I have observed then I talk to uh, different people to try and see did they find all the things I did or did they find anything new. So there's <laughs> a little bit of a game going on there also. Okay. So when you have have you actually been in conversation with real users at any point in time and what is it that you've taken away from those conversations yes i have been in uh, conversations because spotify especially i joined the company because i wanted to work on a product that would end up in users hands so i could basically approach anybody and be like hey what do you think and get some totally different perspective of them depending on whom i'm talking to because even if they have the exact same background their music preferences could be like polar 
you know, totally opposite from each other. So there's a lot of these things that I would do naturally. And also Spotify has this kind of an aura. Anytime in any social setting, if somebody got to know I'm on Spotify, they'll be like, hey, I use this feature. I love that feature. Or like, I wish you guys could tweak this thing. Do you think you can do that? So there was these casual conversations also that was happening. That was very good feedback for me. And also we had actual user interviews, uh, user researchers doing these interviews, recording videos. I would just sit and watch them because I wanted to know what's going on in users' mind. Yeah. What were some of the major pain points out of sheer curiosity? Especially because Spotify and music and like you said, there are such there's such diversity in taste and choice of uh, how people consume music. Uh, it must have been a humongous task or a challenge to be able to distill uh, the essence of all those conversations to make sure that you are satisfying most people that you address. So what were some of those pain points that you were able to listen to if you can share? Sure. Um, first thing I have to say that there is no uniform audience. The Even if you have a certain set of personas, they are very country specific because culture changes that quickly. Even within the US where they have one language and one nation and everything, the way music is cons uh, consumed is very different. Some of it is dependent on race, some of it is dependent on your geographical location where you're exposed to certain ideas and stuff like that. So it was really hard to figure out what is going on. But still we started with a few uh, personas and tried to see how can we cater to those personas. So what happened, what ended up happening is that majority of the folks in the US, because the people building the algorithms had that background and could connect with them and had that direct feedback, it was working really well for them, but not so great in for audiences in other places in the world. It was decently okay because it's the same algorithm, but now it's consuming different data, but how well are the models translating in each of those? That was slightly different. So this was not a one team effort. This was a multi, um, you know, multi team across uh, across locations kind of a thing. So one of the first experiments that worked out with Spotify was trying to bring uh, uh, Spanish music uh, into the limelight. That there are a huge number of consumers, but Engli uh, English music was always number one. Then when they broke a few of the Spanish. Uh, tracks into like the top 10. That was awesome. That was partly through these recommendation engines from Spotify and other such uh, companies, right? So that was a big, uh, uh, it was, it gave us hope that, you know, that can, we can do a lot more to cater to other audiences and try to get their tracks to the top around the world. It doesn't have to be nation specific or location specific or specific to a certain set of people. No, so we were working towards that. It's a huge challenge nonetheless, but small, small efforts towards that goal where you're catering to each of your niche audiences. One way to do that is to learn their preferences and try to start catering to them. So the same algorithm is now like working for different people by consuming their taste. And rather than recommending from one pool, if you have identified them as multiple pools, you can pull from those. So tastes also tend to change uh, over time. So I could be totally into Hindi music right now and tomorrow for some reason I got into like some Tamil filmy music or whatever. And I can't mix these two. I can be like, I really like hip hop. But even in hip hop, whether do I like hip hop in English, Hindi, 
Tamil, although you would put them into the same genre, right? So you have to adapt to my current taste. So it can't even just be like, I'm going to look at all of your history and figure out, because all of your history may lean towards a certain area, but your recent history is showing a new trend. So you need to be able to pick up this new trend as well. So these were some of the ways. That's that's really fascinating. In fact, one takeaway I have from whatever you shared is the amount of layering that exists and to it's almost like peeling the layers of an onion to you know get to really what people want to listen to and that in itself is a fascinating exercise and with all these uh, AI engines coming and constantly learning uh, it'll be interesting to see what emerges I mean we're just talking about one area of music and there are so many other areas like that so yeah definitely uh, you know devices like a Siri or an Alexa I'm sure this is this is going to be a uh, thing that many people are going to be trying to solve. Uh, ultimately, I wonder what will come out of it. See, in Siri and Alexa, there's another thing. They first need to be able to tell accents. So there's that added complication. So the same word can be pronounced uh, pronounced differently by different people. And also there's the localization in terms of language usage. So again, you are basically getting into culture. So how well do you understand the culture of the audience you're catering to comes into the play? As somebody who's worked globally, how has it been, and, and you just mentioned that, you know, uh, you probably worked with many teams across the globe and, and uh, while creating products or experiences, what have been some of your takeaways working with different cultures? Ah, okay. So I have worked very closely with folks in India, with folks in America, because I was there, and also uh, folks in uh, Sweden. Sweden was Spotify headquarters, and I would go there once every six to eight weeks. I spent a lot of time over there. I think, hmm. So if I'm sitting in one place and trying to communicate with people, first thing, I need to be able to give them all the information they need because of the time zone challenges, right? That was one of our biggest things. And I ended up working, uh, sitting in the US, I ended up uh, talking to folks in India who were trying to get things done on the ground here. I needed their inputs and I had the engineers, majority of them, sitting in uh, Sweden. A few of us, uh, based on what we were doing, I would also be working with local engineers, either in Boston or New York. One thing was make sure that everybody has the information that they need. So I was like, whether they want it or not, let them have access to more information rather than be like, I don't have this. So that really helped because, uh, and it was all in like a a channel so that people can go back and refer to it. 100 million things going on, you can't keep everything in mind. So they could go back and refer to it. So I tried to make sure there was some track of a conversation like that. Also, anytime I work with anybody, I try to tell them that let's uh, do this so that we we don't always have to be online at the same time. Because I am a person who gets my creative uh, uh, juices flowing more late nights and not everybody is working late nights. I respect that. So I make it very clear to them that I will share any thoughts and inputs whenever I, I can. I don't expect you to uh, reply to me off, our, you know, off, work, off your working hours whenever it's convenient. But that way, so say somebody comes up, if it's a time zone thing, then Sweden's going to wake up before America. So the Swedish folks have had a chance to look at what I've given them. 
and they had a chance to you know make sure what they want to share with me if it's a simple thing it's just a text message email whatever send it across i have it ready by the time my work day starts if it is something more involved we have a very short overlap over there so we would they would have scheduled a meeting i come in i can check and can just uh, you know uh, have a quick sync with them so this really worked disseminating a lot of information it's a little hard because as a developer we don't tend to write documentation and doing this kind of information dissemination but i wanted to get the job done i wanted it to be done well so not just some random thing i put in the effort it was appreciated so i was like okay cool it works <laughs> that's nice that it's really nice to hear a developer say that um, you know having seen people who are reluctant to communicate um i for one definitely believe in over communication it it's okay people will take what they want from it and generally somebody is not waiting on information exactly. to proceed with uh, what needs to be done so and yeah, the best part of it is when you get a new intern or a new person you can just be like hey just go read that <laughs> so that there was that also so that is so essential in fact assimilating new people in an organization um i think is is so essential because they are eager to learn they yeah. are hungry to know how the whole setup works which brings me to one question especially in the last one and a half years when people have been working remotely i wonder how especially people who join an organization fresh can assimilate that uh, culture of an organization so what i kind of uh, did and this is because uh, some of my mentors taught me to do that was as i joined a new organization i just started noting things down and just like putting them up in some place that was like publicly accessible uh sometimes there would be other people who would add to it and so now we either have a living document or we have a wiki where you know a lot of things are documented so the next person who comes has a slightly better lead there and in spotify there is a very good uh, feedback culture so like you know as you're new to the company people are trying to figure out what's happening what's not um so you can improve the onboarding process there's that aspect as well what else one on one pairing with somebody was another quick way to learn a lot it's a lot one on one pairing it can be a little draining after a few sessions i'm not a big fan of it but you know at least like if i can sit with somebody and learn the key things about it rather than build the code where somebody's typing i'm watching i'm going to zone out but at least sit with them have a conversation of how things are going once or twice i think that's useful to get the brain dump Um, so these are some of the things that I've done. Nice, by the way. Maybe third or fourth time I would have checked out, so I will not even push for a third or fourth. Okay. And then it'll be just like code review. Yeah, code reviews actually was a great way to disseminate information. Uh, we would uh, we have actually done that uh, Spotify and in my previous companies wherever we have had really good engineers, the code reviews have been amazing. They haven't just been about the code. because a lot of times people will just tell you a functional requirement say that this is what we want out of it and they've not really like created a huge dog especially when you're building a prototype right at that stage is where a lot of these discussions and decisions sometimes uh, it used to happen through the code reviews and sometimes we would pull it from there and document it in a more nice place but otherwise it, at least it's still there somewhere where you can access it that's nice that's um That's a really nice thing to know, and I hope a lot of uh, people who have just joined organizations do listen to what you've shared here. And I know you have an interest in so many things, and uh, you know you did something phenomenal in partnership with so many people across the across the world, which was 
the 100 stories. Can you share what that experience was like and why you did that? Okay, so this was uh, basically a project that was, uh, the idea for this came from an NGO, which is now called uh, Lit by Humanity. It's been started by a professor in Hyderabad. And she has been personally working to try and help blind students in their education, like reading out books, recording that so that students can listen to it. It's crazy how many books are out there and what a small percent of it is available in Braille or something of that sort. Audiobooks are now up and coming, but still, you know, textbooks in audiobook format is still a little uh, hard. So she came up with this idea and decided to try this as like a crowdsourcing experiment and it coincided with the lockdown in India in uh, 2020. So that was the best thing. Now, all the people are just sitting at home and they don't know what to do with themselves, right? So they have a lot of time on their hands as well. So what we did was basically tap into that, that free time. Because any other time, a lot of people who worked with me in this project would say, uh, I didn't have time to volunteer ever. This is my first volunteering experience. Hearing those stories were like amazing. So what um, I said, I started recording textbooks and after that I said I want to do more because I think I can, I've had uh, experience working in these cross-country dreams and working remotely and all. I can help do some kind of a project management. So they gave me this project and said, okay, we want to record 100 stories in English. And the reason for this is to help students in India, typically uh, from uh, you know uh, underprivileged backgrounds to get access to good English content in Indian voices with Indian accents that they can relate to. So a lot of non-English speakers in India, the problem they're facing is that they cannot understand the US, UK accent or Australian or any of the other accents. So this would help them overcome that. It was as simple as that. And then, the so we were three of us, we sat down and we were like, uh, how do we make this organized? We can't just be like, hey, give me a story that are bound to be repeats because certain stories are very popular among people, right? So we basically made a list of all the stories, collected them uh, from open source, uh, sorry, I shouldn't say open source, books where the copyrights have expired, so which are available in the public domain, right? So we collected stories from them, made a list, cut, cut them into PDFs so that each person has access to just one story, had a tracker, did that. And then we were like, hey, people, who wants to do? There were a bunch of volunteers who were doing volunteering. And we said, guys, you guys can participate. Please involve whoever else is happening. Now, this went really well. People loved it. They brought their grandmother, their grandchild. They brought everybody. So we essentially, we ended up having participants from the age of 11 to 80. Amazing. So, yeah, that's how it was. And uh, so we did the 100 Stories project. We ended up recording 104 and people were like, I need more, I need more. But we were like, no, we are going to time box this. We have one week. And then um, because in this one week, we also had a set of people to do QA for us. So we call them proof listeners because essentially they're listening to this. We asked for samples, got them to listen to it, approve that. If they didn't approve, they had to give feedback. So we actually kind of coached a lot of people who had no idea about tech to even start download our app to use a mic. This is how you do the mic. This is how you remove sounds from it. So we were doing a lot of tech support and all of that. So people really found it. They, they were very excited by it. One thing, they're doing some volunteering. Second thing, they're learning some new skills. So that was very exciting to a lot of people. What a lovely story, Madhavi. And I'm so glad that you could share it here with us. I'm sure a, 
I hope it inspires a lot more people to get involved and engaged in such projects. So um, I haven't realized, but we have come to, we've spoken a lot. And um, as we close this conversation, I would request you to share a message for people who want to take up a career in tech or become developers. I would just say pursue your passions and look for some new thing, new challenges. And just because it's new and you don't know like 100% of the things to get that done, don't say no because just go push yourself. You'll learn a lot of new things. It'll gain, help you gain confidence and yeah, just continue. And talk to people. <laughs> don't just sit in your silo because you can build the best thing sitting in your silo. But if it is not adopted, then all your effort is gone to waste. Nice, Madhavi. Thank you. I would certainly look forward to having a lot more conversations with you. But thank you so much for being with us here today. Thank you for having me, Chitra. This is great. Thank you. We thank Siddharth for the music and Anita for promoting the software people's stories. If you like this episode, Please subscribe on your favorite podcast client and spread the word in your network. If you'd like to share your story, contact us at podcasts at pm-powerconsulting.com.